Hey there, podcast listeners. The sermon you're about to hear was preached at Soul Survivor in Goulburn in April this year. There is a story behind how this talk came about, and the short version is that it was not the talk I've been planning on giving, and it was only in the last minute before I got up to preach I decided to do this message on Job. It was just a bit terrifying. It is not a method of preaching or preparation that I recommend to anyone. If you want to hear the full story, uh, then I've written a post about it on my blog, and you can find that post at blog.tomfrench.com.au. Or I've stuck up a link to the post in the podcast episode description. Anyway, hope you enjoy this talk. If you do like the podcast, it'd be super helpful if you could rate and review it on iTunes so that more people can find it and hopefully find it helpful. Anyway, that's enough from me. Here's me. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up to the book of Job. 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 The book of Job is in your Bible. It's after Esther. It's uh, before Psalms. It's about halfway through, maybe a little bit less than halfway through. It's about there in my Bible. All right. Do you have it? Chapter 1. We're going to just read through the whole of Job, and then we'll be done. Yeah. Not going to projects. No, we're just going to sit here and listen to Job. Yeah. Actually, I was talking to someone about Job just while you're looking this up. I was talking about someone to Job at Soul Survivor last week, and they were talking about how it's written like a play. And so it's written so that there's these different kind of scenes, and you've got different actors who are talking. But in the old days, like there are. Uh, they're actors and they would talk and they would talk a lot and they would say the same things over and over again. And the reason this person told me, I haven't checked this out, but the reason was because often during a play, uh, you'd be there and then you'd be like, oh man, I need to go get some food. So you'd get up and go out and get food and then you'd come back and then you'd be like, what? I missed something. So then if they're saying the same thing over and over again, you can get up and get your food and it's like, oh, look, they're exactly where they were before. And the good thing about the book of Job is, you know, it feels like, it's not quite, but it feels like you could get up, you could hear the first bit, go out and have like a six-course meal and then come back and be like, okay, now, yeah, oh, well, they're still being rude to Job. So anyway, let's... <laughs> and you guys who don't know the story of Job are like, what the heck are they talking about? But we're going to know the story of Job after today, hopefully. So there is this thing that happens uh, to me whenever I'm on a plane. I'm on the plane, <clears throat> excuse me, and I love flying. Like, I really love flying. I've always been excited by flying. Like, just the fact that you can get in a metal cylinder and then just fly through the air, you know, with these jet turbines that are pushing you through at almost the speed of sound, and you get from one place to another while cramped in next to some stranger and eating some bad food, that excites me. I get so excited about it. When I was a kid, on my first plane trip, it was a flight from Australia to New Zealand, and I was so excited. I was like, I want to drink Coke, which is one of the other things I love in my life is Coke. And I, I was like, I want to drink Coke on the plane. I want it to taste so good because planes are so special that I'm not going to drink Coke for like two months beforehand. So I didn't drink Coke for two months beforehand. So when I was on that plane, sitting there for the first time, I would open the Coke in that tiny little Coke can. I'd be like, ah, life is perfect. I'm in the sky, in a metal cylinder, drinking the perfect drink out of a little metal cylinder. It was just a perfect kind of, you know, way things work together. So I love flying, 
But there is always, uh, there are two bits of flying which I really don't like. One bit is landing. Like, I, I, it just scares me because you have the flying metal cylinder is now heading straight for the earth. So that always seems like things could go really, really wrong. Uh, but the other bit is there's this point in the flight where the plane takes off and you're like, and you're going like flying along, like, yeah, like you push back in your seat, it's like, and then the, at some point, uh, the, 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 the engines just kind of go, and every time, and then the G-forces kind of stop, and you're like, ooh, and you're like, oh, no. <laughs> the engine's died. We're going to die. And I just feel like this is the point where we're just going to go straight down into the ground. I always grab onto my armrests uh, because I'm like, this is it. And I grab onto my armrests like that's going to do anything. Like if we crash, it was like, well, at least I held onto the armrests. It always worries me. I'm always afraid in that bit because I just don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going on at that point, And I just think we're going to die. And there's this issue that we often have in life, that we are in the middle of situations which are terrible. They're, they're like, we are afraid. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know the end of the story. We don't know what's going to happen when we are hurtling through the sky or through life. And we don't know where we're going to land. And we don't know if we're going to land. And we don't know if it's going to be when we're gripping our seat for dear life or if we're going to land safely. We don't know and we get terrified. That's a, a feeling that we can have all the way through life. Well, in the story of Job, we have this guy. And we are in Job chapter 1, hopefully. And he's a guy who lives in the land of Uz. And uh, Job, he's a good guy. Like, he's a really good guy. He's got some kids. He's got a wife. Uh, he's got some animals. Things are going well. He loves his kids. He loves his kids so much that he is worried that they may have done something wrong. And if they have done something wrong... It says that he would make sacrifices for them to God just on their behalf, just on the off chance they did the wrong thing. Now, most parents are like, my kids would never do anything wrong. But Job is like, my kids would never do anything wrong. But just in case, let me kill a lamb. So that's what he does. And things are going pretty well for Job. And then it tells us that God is in heaven. And along comes uh, this uh, fallen angel whose name is Satan. This is from verse 6. It says, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hand so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. And Satan is saying there, the reason why Job loves you is because everything is good. If everything was bad, Job would hate you. He would think you were the worst. He would turn his back on you. So why don't you do it and we'll see how good Job is. And so it says that God said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. 
One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby. And the Sabians attacked and made off with them and they put the servants to the sword. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them, and they put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And at this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head and then he fell to the ground in worship. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave And the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. And even when everything falls apart for Job, when uh, Satan's way is done and God allows Job to be tested like this and Job loses everything, Job chooses to worship. He doesn't grab hold of the armrests and say, I'm going to save myself. If we're going down, I'm going down with me in control of something. He's saying, God, I came here naked and I will leave naked. You give and you take away. It's all yours, God. And sometimes when we are faced with these times in life, we don't know what to do. We don't have an answer. And for Job, his answer is to worship because he doesn't have the answers. There are so many times for us we don't have those answers, but at least we have a God that we can worship. But the things for Job, they just get worse. It doesn't just all pick up from there. It just continues to go badly. In chapter 2 it says, On another day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. to pray. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil, and he still maintains his integrity. Though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life, but now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and his bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then. He is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. And still, even when everything has been taken away from Job, and even Job looks like he's on the verge of losing his life, he will not curse God. 
And then it tells us in the story that along come Job's friends. And Job's friends try and work through with Job what is going on. And we don't have time to read everything that they say, uh, which probably we're quite pleased about because they say a lot. And they talk and they talk and they talk. And the basic thing that they say is, Job, the reason why this is happening to you is because you did the wrong thing. You think that you are good. And everyone else thinks that you're good, but somewhere, somewhere in your life, you've done the wrong thing. Somewhere you have offended God. Somewhere you've sinned against Him. There is something in your life that is wrong. And Job is looking and he's looking and he doesn't know. He doesn't know why this is happening and he knows that he hasn't done the wrong thing. And he's saying, God, I just want to stand up in front of God and say, God, why did you do this to me? He just wants answers. He knows that he hasn't done the wrong thing. Now, for us, when we are going through hard times, when we are facing suffering, the things that happen to us is we have our own internal Job friends. They sit in our head and they say, the reason why this is happening to you is because you've done something wrong. And probably you're not as good as Job. I don't know. Maybe you are, but you're probably not. You probably aren't someone who is sinless and upright. And when bad things happen to you, you're not like, I will worship. You're like, I will swear words. That's you're that person. And then you think, oh man, this bad thing is happening to me because I've, I've sworn and now worse things are going to happen. And then we think that all these things are happening to us because there are things we've done wrong. We're going through our life like, what is this? What happened there? What happened there? But sometimes we can't find the answer. Like sometimes bad things happen to us because we do the wrong thing. Like that just happens. Like when I was a little kid, I stole some stickers off my mom. Yeah, I know. I'm a criminal. This is my testimony, guys. You guys are about to all become Christians again for the third, fourth time because you're about to hear how bad I was and how God has changed me from being a sticker thief to a preacher for the Lord. Anyway, the point is I stole some stickers from my mom and then I had these stickers and I was like, oh, what am I going to do with them? And I was like, oh, I know. I'll stick them somewhere where my mom will never find them, under her bed. So I went... (laughs) And I climbed under her bed and I stuck the stickers around under her bed. And then I was like so satisfied. And then I was like, oh, no, I'm not. And then my mum found out. And I got in big trouble because my mum, she didn't love the stickers that much. But she didn't like having a son who was a thief. So I got busted for it. And the reason why that bad thing happened to me is because I did a bad thing. And so a bad thing happened to me. Like sometimes the consequences are our actions. If you go steal a car you're going to get busted for it, hopefully. (laughs) And sometimes it's not even that we get punished. Sometimes it's just that you just did a stupid thing and bad things happen. Like when I decided that I would drive fast over a speed bump when I had a thing of open milk beside me. (laughs) That bad thing happened to me because I was dumb. I wasn't being punished. Just milk went everywhere because there was a speed bump and I drove fast, so don't do that. So sometimes it happens because you're dumb, and sometimes it happens because you did the wrong thing. But these things, they happen. We try and find the answers, but we don't always know the answers. We, don't, we can't always figure it out. And we look at our life, and we just try and work it out. And we try and say, God, what are you trying to teach me in this moment? I know that I am that person. When bad things happen to me, I'm like, this is bad. I'm not having a good time right now. God is trying to teach me something. And so I reflect on what is happening to me. I'm like, why, why is my TV not working? 
why is it not working? I've tried everything. I've, I've checked the plug. I've checked the DVD player. I've checked the Apple TV. I've tried everything. It's not working. God's trying to teach me something. What could he be trying to teach me? I better figure it out really quickly so I can watch TV soon. And so then I'm like, go through my head. I'm like, oh, yes. He's trying to teach me that not that I should find my rest and satisfaction in Him, not TV. I'm like, God, you are my rest and satisfaction. Are you working now, TV? No, it's not. Okay, what else could He be teaching me? And I just try and figure out the answer really quickly. So if I can learn what the, the problem is, what God is trying to teach me, I'll learn it really quickly and then I can just get on with my life. But some, like often, if God's going to teach you something, He's not going to do it in your time. He'll do it in His time. Now, the last few years of my life have not been the best few years of my life. Like, the, like oh, I had more fun in the last, like when I was sticking stickers under my mum's bed than the last few years of my life. I moved uh, with my wife. We got married. We moved down to Melbourne. We took a job to be a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor in a church. I was really excited about it. I'm like, I had a really good time when I was a youth pastor working for Matt, and uh, he left, and then I had even more good time. And then... <laughs> No, he was, he was a good boss. Uh, but I, 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 I loved that. Like some of the best times in my life was working as a youth minister in a church. Like I made really good friends with the youth leaders and with the youth and with people in the church. And I saw people grow in their faith and I saw God doing things. I'm like, this is where I am meant to be. This is what I should be doing. And so then I started, you know, I finished up there and I thought, I'm going to, you know, see what God wants to do. And I felt like God was like, Tom, I want you to plant a church. So like, all right, I'll try and do that. I tried to plan a church, and I got about eight people together, and there was a few of us trying to work at it. And we, sat, we, we met together for three years and invited heaps of people to come. No one came. One person came. We were like, great. And then they left again, and there was no one there. Like, we supernaturally failed at church planning. Like, no one turned up for three years. So we're like, all right, we've had enough of that. Let's figure something else out to do. So I was like, ah, I know what I do. I'll go back to where I felt like I belonged. I'll go back to what I was, what I was doing, which was good. And I was like, we'll go back to youth ministry. And I was like, that's what I feel called to. We'll get that going. So we moved down to Melbourne. We were working in this church. And I was like, I'm going to be the best youth minister. So much like, I've got 10 years on who I was before. I'm going to, it's going to be great. And I started there, and things just got harder and harder and harder. And I had a youth group that just didn't grow. And I had a relationship with, um, with my boss that just didn't work. And eventually, I found out like 18 months in that just everything I did, my boss didn't like. And so I was like, oh... I guess I shouldn't do this anymore. And so I resigned. And then I moved back to Sydney. And I've been going, what was that about, God? What's the answer? Why, was, why did you send us down there only to find out that I, I couldn't achieve what I wanted to achieve and that people didn't like what I was doing and I just ruined some things and then went back to Sydney? It's like I moved to Melbourne, made, made a mess, and then moved back to Sydney. In fact, actually, I don't know how you feel about Melbourne. That seems like a good thing to do. But... <laughs> But I, I, don't, I don't know what the answer is. And I, I was talking to, to Em about it just two days ago. And we were in Melbourne. We were like, we don't, I don't know what the answer is. What I feel like, though, is that I'm, I'm like, it's like I'm on a plane. And I'm halfway through the trip. And I don't know where we're going, but I'm stuck on a plane. And all I've got is God. All I've got is him to take me to the end and we're going to crash or we're going to land, but all I've got is him and we're just going to have to trust him because I don't know what the answer is. 
Or for Job, he is asking God, he's saying, why is this happening to me, God? Would you give me the answer, please, God? I just want to stand before God and show him that I am a righteous man so that I can meet my accuser, so I can meet him and I can say to him, I am right and you are wrong. You let this happen to me. And chances are you guys feel like that. That you see some of the things that happen in your life and you're like, I don't know what it is, God. I don't know what I've done wrong. I can't find anything. I don't know what you're trying to teach me. I'm not learning anything. I just, want to, I just want to stand before you, God, and say, why would you do this to me? Why would you let me down like this? Why would you let that person leave me? Why would you let that person get sick? Why would you let my family fall apart? Why would you let my friends turn on me? Can you just give me an answer, God? Because, God, you are cruel and you are mean. And this sucks. Well, for Job, he gets to, to meet God. And in uh, Job uh, chapter 39, after all this talking, God finally turns up. And he gives two speeches to Job. And uh, it's the second one that I want us to look at. Job finally meets God and he says, sorry, in 40 verse 1, actually, God speaks first. And he says this, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. And then Job answered the Lord. He says, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Job wants to meet God and to say, why are you doing this? And finally, he gets to stand before God, and he has nothing to say. I suspect that's how we would go too. Because if we stand before God and he turns up in all his godness, as much as we would want to have a go at him, we couldn't do it. I lie in bed at night and I think about some of the things that people have done to me or the things that people are doing, and I dream up the things I'm going to say to them. Do you do that? Like, I'm going to stand before them, and I'm going to say, you did this, and you did that, and I'm right, and you're wrong, and yeah. That's how I, what I'm going to do. And then I stand before them, and I'm like, mm, sorry. <laughs> and then I go. And Job's standing before God, and here's his chance to tell God off. And he's like, I will say nothing. I've said too much. But God's not having any of it. Look at what God says next. He says, brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's and can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and close yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Look at all who are proud and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them with all the dust all in the dust together, shroud their faces in the grave, then I myself will admit to you that your own, your own right hand can save you. Look at the behemoth 
which I made along with you, which feeds on grass like an ox. What strength it has in its loins, what power in, in the muscles of its belly. Its tail sways like a cedar. The sinews of its thighs are close-knit. Its bones are tubes of bronze. Its limbs like rods of iron. It ranks first among the works of God, yet its maker can approach it with his sword. The hills bring it their produce And all the wild animals play nearby, under the lotus plants that lies hidden among the reeds in the marsh. The lotuses conceal it in their shadow. The poplars by the streams surround it. A raging river does not alarm it. It is secure, though the Jordan should surge against its mouth. Can anyone capture it by the eyes or trap it and pierce its nose? Can you pull in Leviathan with a fishhook and then... I won't read all of it, but then God goes on to say, can you control these animals? You can't do that. God's whole thing to Job is, are you God? You're not. But if you are, go for it. Go and be God. You go and do it. Because when we are angry at God, we're like, I could do a better job than you, God. I could do better than you. You just let me be in charge. And God's saying to Job, all right, go for it. And the problem is, if we're in the middle of suffering, or we look at the things that have happened in our lives, or we look at the things that happen in the world, and we say, I reject you, God, then all we've got left is ourselves. And if all we've got left is us, are we going to do any better than God? Can we do any better than God? Can we tame the wild beasts? Can we rage in a storm? Can we bring justice to the earth? We are impotent in our own lives. Imagine how impotent we would be in the rest of the world. We cannot be God, so we have to just say, God, you are God. I'll let you be God. If you read the whole of Job's answer from God, God never tells him the answer. We know the answer. We saw it at the beginning of the book. We know why all these bad things happened to Job, because Satan went to God and says, who is good? And God said, look at Job. Look at Job. And Job lived up to to God's desire. We know the answer, but God doesn't give Job the answer, because I suspect that for God, it's better not to give the answer. Because God doesn't want to give us all the answers. Because if we have the answer... We don't have the God to trust. We'll just hold on to the answer and not hold on to the God. We'll be be saying, I know what's going on. I've got it all sorted out. I've learned my lesson. I'm fine now. I'll get on with my life. Sometimes it's better to have the mystery and the God rather than the answer and all we have is ourselves. But the last thing I want to show you is this. Job, uh, sorry, God says to Job in verse 8, says, Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? He's saying, if you accuse God of being a maniac, if you accuse God of being unjust, and you do it only to justify yourself, and you destroy any power that God, any moral power that you might think that God has in your life, would you do that for yourself? You better not, because then God ceases to be God. 
But in the story of the Bible, we see that God has come to us in a man. And when God came to us in his son, Jesus Christ, he allowed himself to be condemned so that we might be justified. That he himself chose to die on a cross, to take our sins upon himself so that we might have life. We didn't get to choose it. He chose it for us. And we don't know the answer to suffering. We don't know why things happen the way they do. What we do know is that we have a God who came to us in a man, who didn't remain out there and shouted us from the storm. He came to us and he loved us right in the middle of storms. He calmed storms. He healed sickness. He walked through tragedy and he died for us, condemned by us so that we might be justified before God. We have a God who loves us. We may not know the answers, but we do know the God and we have seen him in Jesus. So will you trust him? Will you trust him when you're in the middle of suffering and say, look, if I lose you, God, I've got nothing. So one way or another, we're getting to the end, God, I'm going to trust you to get me there. I'm going to trust you that you can land this plane. If you loved me in Jesus, if you saved my life, if you gave me eternal life, you can get me through this. This is nothing for you. How much more does God have for those of us who love him? who gave Jesus, who came for us. How much more? So he's got everything. You know, I'm just going to finish the story of the plane because this is kind of interesting to me. When you're on the plane and you're taking off and you hit the, uh, the bit where it goes, I was always wondering about that. And I got to meet a pilot the other day. And I said to the pilot, I was like, what happens? Because I'm always freaking out in that bit. And he's like, well... What happens is that we're drunk and we're crashing. No, that's not what he said. He said, what happens is at that point, when you take off from Sydney or from Melbourne, we always cleared to cruising altitude at 5,000 feet or we, or we go straight up to 30,000 feet. And when we get to cruising altitude, we don't have to push so hard. It doesn't have to, you know, it's not so strong. We can just pull off on the, on the thrust and then we can just kind of cruise a bit more at the place where we're meant to be. It's totally normal. It's totally safe. It feels scary, but it's fine. This is what we do so that we can get to our destination. I'm like, Christ, now I know. This is fantastic. Now I know that we can get there. I know that we're safe because we're in the hands of you, the pilot out the front. I didn't know that. When I'm in the middle of it and I'm like freaking out, the pilot's not going to come down and sit down next to me like, Tom, it's okay. It's fine. We just hit 5,000 feet. He doesn't do that. He doesn't need to. I just got to say, look, you're the one at the front. I'm going to trust you to get me there and you're going to land us safely. You have before. You'll do it again. And we have a God who has landed us safely. He's already landed us safely in his son, Jesus Christ. He's got us home, to Jesus, home with him forever. Whatever we're going through now, we say, God, you be God. And I will trust you to get me there. I don't know the answer, but I want you to be God. I will not condemn you to justify myself. I will trust that you are the God who was condemned so that I might be justified. I've seen your love. Let's go home. How about I pray for us? 
Lord God, I pray that you will help us to be people who trust you. Lord God, we don't know all the answers. And God, maybe we shouldn't know all the answers. I pray that you'll help us to be people who do not condemn you to justify ourselves, who do not refuse to look to you or listen to you so that we might feel like we are in the right. I pray that we will know that you are someone who is trustworthy because we've seen it again and again and again and ultimately we've seen it in your son. I pray that we will trust you to take us home. We'll know that you can land the plane. You can keep us safe. And when we're in, in the middle of these hard times, that we will hold on to you for life because he knew that there is life. Amen.